right, all right, day 293. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith, and remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our sales. All right. So today we're in the book of Titus. Uh, and Titus is one of the three pastoral epistles along with first and second Timothy. Uh, Titus was, uh, another one of Paul's spiritual sons in the faith, right? So he probably, uh, Paul most likely discipled this young man. Uh, and he was a trusted coworker, uh, for gospel ministry, uh, with Paul. And we see him mention in book like, uh, books like Acts, uh, second Corinthians, Galatians, uh, Galatians, and uh, he is a Greek. He's not a Jew. And Paul uh, leaves uh, this young man named Titus to do ministry in this place called Crete. And uh, so Paul is writing this letter to Tim, uh, to Titus. Timothy and Titus get confused. He's writing this letter to uh, Titus. And, uh, to, and, and Titus is doing ministry in Crete. And so Crete was this large island off of the coast of Greece. And Titus is to restore order in these churches, these house churches that Paul has left in his care. And this island specifically was known for its immorality right it's violence it's lying and so titus like many of us was doing ministry in a really hard place <laughs> right and so this letter uh is written by paul to him to instruct him on how he ought to govern these churches and uh paul gets right into it he says paul a servant of god uh and, a, and an apostle of jesus christ for the faith of god's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that god who cannot lie promised before time began. Paul is so subtle in the very first line. He says that God is the one who cannot lie. It makes sense that he would say this. Why? Because Crete, as we know it, uh, based on the um, ancient literature that we have, uh, Cretans were notorious uh, liars, right? And, and one of the Greek terms for liars in this time period was actually the word kritizo, right? And, and, and so it's interesting, uh, and you can hear the kind of Crete in that. Um, so it's interesting that he uh, grounds the message he's about to give uh, in the fact that we serve a God who cannot lie. But also, in this culture, uh, Zeus was the chief pagan Greco-Roman deity uh, uh, in this region, and 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 and, and uh, he was known for lying and seducing women, whole nine yards. And so Paul shows the antithetical uh, uh, lying is, is is very much antithetical to the very nature of God, right? He is he is very much different from the gods of uh, of the region and the people, <laughs> and he is one who has made a promise to us uh, that we have eternal life, right? And and um the the origin of that promise is even in eternity. He says it's before time began. Right. So so I think uh, he's doing this to kind of like bolster his confidence in the beginning, uh, because at the end of the day, he's like, no, like this is before time began. So anything that takes place in time can't take away what God has promised us. Right after this, he gets in. Uh, he gets down to business. He says the very reason. No, no. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And hear this as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So he says, no, no like I left you here to appoint elders, leaders, pastors, overseers, right? And he moves on to give qualities that should characterize these elders. An elder, he says, must be blameless, husband of one wife, faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion, right? Overseer of God's household should be blameless, not arrogant, hot, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, all this kind of stuff, hospitable, loving what is good. And basically what we learn uh, are, are uh, from this text is that um, Paul, again, cares so much more about at least uh, initially, first, the priority should be on these elders' character, right? It should be on their character more than their competency. We talked about that in First Timothy. And he goes on in verse 9 and says some interesting stuff. He says, holding to the faithful message, so they should be self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, right, the gospel, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict. 
addicted. Now, Paul is going to get into uh, these false teachers that were that were plaguing the churches of Crete. And basically, we learn from uh, chapter one that uh, the, the, they are from this uh, group called the Circumcision Party. And they have come in and tried to deceive these believers. And, and, the, and the elders, Titus appoints, are to protect the flock from their lives, right? And refute them as well, right? With the sound teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says they are built on greed and material gain, and they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And Paul is gonna use very, very sharp language about silencing them and about rebuking them, right? And notice the contrast between the ethical elders he wants in place in Crete and the unethical teachers, false teachers, that are leading people astray. And his point here is that someone, hear this, I think I think the timeless theological truth in this passage is that um, in all cultures, uh, there are some people who are trying to lead and disciple and instruct and guide God's people with teaching and ways of thinking and living and being in the world that are contrary to those of Jesus. Right. Like, I, I think that's the, the clear kind of New Testament teaching about this. And the pastor's job, one of the pastor's job, according to Paul, is to be aware enough <laughs> And to, to thoroughly and thoughtfully, hear this, refute those things that don't coincide with the gospel. And the non-pastor, right, the, the, the church member, the most of us probably listen to this podcast, including myself, right, is to be aware that these, that these uh, false teachings are out there, that they take place, and discerning, right, and not be led astray, right? We have secular uh, pr priests and prophets, right? And they don't all want us to listen to and be led by our prophet priest, Jesus, Right. And so he goes on in Titus two, he says, but you <laughs> contrast, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Notice the contrast again, while the false teachers claim to know God, but deny him by their works. Titus should proclaim a gospel and uh, 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 should, 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 should point to a lifestyle that flows out of it in such a way that men and women in the church affirm God by their works rather than deny him by their works. Right. Notice in chapter two, he addresses everyone in the church. He's like, no, no, no. Like, like everybody, it's for everybody, chief, everybody. You know what I mean? Um, and he actually gives a rationale for it too, which we'll get to. But in other words, if he stressed the importance of the faithfulness of sound teaching and holding on to it in this chapter, in chapter two, he goes into how that sound or healthy teaching is to infiltrate uh, the entire body and actually result in life change. He says the older men, be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love and endurance. Older women, reverend in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking, teaching what is good, right? Um, young men. Notice what he says to the young man. He says, just be self-controlled, <laughs> right? Um, and then he talks about slaves. And remember, slavery in the uh, first century is much different than the modern form of slavery. That's a whole other podcast, uh, more like indentured servanthood. Anyway, um, it's interesting that uh, the, the younger man, I love this. He says, uh, be self-controlled and everything. And it's funny because um, I was actually having a conversation with someone yesterday, and they were talking about... Uh, you know, just young men and, 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 and how uh, they have everything but self-control, right? And um, I was one of them, right? Uh, and I'm being honest. And uh, it's funny that um, I just mentioned like, man, young men usually uh, can only see what's like right in front of them. You know what I mean? And they don't have the kind of self-control to understand that, hey, you need to abstain from this or you should do this or you shouldn't do this uh, in order that you understand uh, or in order that you uh, set yourself up to reap good consequences from your actions, those sorts of things. Um, and uh, one of um, a sister was telling me that, uh, which I've heard before, but it, it just made more sense. Like, yeah, uh, men usually mature much later uh, than, than women. And um, 
their uh, prefrontal cortex doesn't form uh, fully until they're like 25. And so that's why they're so immature for so long. Uh, and it was just like, man, it's just so striking that Paul uh, kind of, I guess by the Holy Spirit, uh, kind of understood, right? The kind of psychology uh, and developmental psychology of young men. And he just says like, yo, if they could just learn to be self-controlled, <laughs> like things would go so much better. So he gives all these things, he says, but then he gives this rationale and the rationale is missional. It's so good. It's missional. He says, it's so that people would see that the Christian message is actually compelling. He says in verse five, he says, so that God's word will not be slander. He says in verse eight, so that an opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. And then he says in verse nine, he says, so that they may adorn the teaching of God, our savior in everything. He says, no, no, like you should live this way so that those on the outside would have to make up stuff about you to accuse you of infidelity to people and to your God, right? He says, so that, so that God's word wouldn't be slander. And it's interesting because I've said it before on the podcast, uh, the book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, really good a guy named Alan Kreider. He's Harvard trained, uh, really good academic, but basically he just gives a history of the early church and he talks about how it took off. And one of the reasons it took off wasn't because they had the best preachers, although they had some really good ones, or it wasn't because they had the best theologians, although they had some of the best in church history. It was because though, of the way they loved their enemies and the actual virtues they had cultivated out of obedience to, to Jesus and to the scriptures. And the watching world was able to say, whatever that is you have, whatever, whatever you have that can change a soul to live in love in that way, I want some of it, right? Count me in. And Paul understands this, right? He understands this and history has vindicated him correct, right? And, and when, he, when he moves, I love this, he moves. And even with all of this, he says, when he drops down to verse 11, he roots it all in the gospel. He says, for, so he uses this, this uh, Greek word, gar, right? It's, it's a connector. He says, for, the reason I'm saying all this is because it's because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And it's so interesting that he's going to personify grace in this section. He says, instructing. So the grace instructs us to deny godliness, God, uh, godlessness, worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, appearing of our glory, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So much in this text, but he says grace instructs us um, to be against certain things and to give ourselves to certain things as well. Sensibility, righteousness, godliness. In other words, grace for Paul has this transformative power. Grace is a free, as one scholar puts it, grace is a free but a demanding gift given without conditions, but compels, propels, and transforms us to be zealous to good works, right, for our brothers and towards our brothers uh, and sisters. Titus 3. And 3, uh, finally, he moves um, from talking about how we are to conduct ourselves in the house and how we are to live outside the house, right? Before it was about living amongst each other, and now it's about how we live amongst others, right? So he says, remind them, talking about the Christians, the believers, the church, to submit to rules and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, <laughs> always showing gentleness to all people. For we were, too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. Notice the phrase, um, good work here uh, is a peek back to what he was just talking about. So he's, he's still talking about the good works that are supposed to be uh, cast before the watching world uh, themselves, not just amongst the church and the believers. And to sum it up, he says, 
uh, basically that Christians are should be those who uh, are model citizens in any given society, right? Model citizens, right? Like we should be ones who are leading the charge for the best that's going on in the world, right? Like that's Paul's vision for what the gospel can do. And notice he roots this in the gospel. He says, he says, you were like hateful and detesting one another. He says, but the kindness of God, our savior appeared. <laughs> so notice he's like, no, no, you should be kind um, because you were once hateful and envious and all this kind of stuff. But God's kindness <laughs> met you in your hostility. Right. And it changed you. Right. God's kindness, his love for mankind appeared. It saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. I think the logic here, Paul is saying that the same mercy you received in the gospel is the same one you should give to the world around you. Right. He says we aren't to look down on others who don't know the Lord, because if it if uh, but for the grace of God, so but I. Right. Like if it weren't for the kindness of God, it would, we would still be in our sins. And the reason he's like, the reason you have these good things to offer is because there has been a good God that has been good to you. Right. And so to the best of our ability, church, what he's saying is uh, he will get at this uh, with two more exhortations to good works throughout the rest of this chapter is that uh, we as God's people are to fight for the common good of our society, to live in such a way that makes the world an actual better place. Right. We are to live our lives for the sake of the world, fam. Like, think about that. Like, that's what Jesus did. And or or to use Jesus's words. Right. Like live as salt and as light. And as Jesus and Paul will, will, will say, it's so that people could say, uh, you know, so, so that people could give glory uh, to our father who is in heaven. Uh, let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us the grace today uh, to live in such a way that testifies to the transformation.